the Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers for DC. Welcome to the Echo Chamber. This is basically a historic occasion in that we've managed to track down the entire Homes Report editorial team, um, who we have here in New York. We are post-Sabre Awards, and we're going to discuss the Agencies of the Year, which were unveiled last night. Um, first of all, let me welcome Paul Holmes and Arthi Shah. Welcome. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Okay, so let's dive right in. I think we are all a little exhausted from the awards show, but I suppose as good a place to start as any is with our overall Agency of the Year. Not the biggest, but the best. Um, M. Booth. Uh, Paul, I'll, I'll put it to you first. Why... Um, why do you think M. Booth won, and what impressed you about them? One of the one of the things that really stood out for me is so often you see a good mid small or mid sized firm get acquired, and it it becomes apparent very quickly that the principal and founder isn't going to thrive in a less entrepreneurial environment. They're going to move on very quickly. Um, what I think, um, what I think distinguishes M. Booth and Margie Booth in particular is that that firm has gone from strength to strength in the five years um, that it was acquired by Next15. Um, Margie um, didn't exactly step aside, though she did bring in uh, President Dale Bornstein from Ketchum to help her run the firm. Uh, she uh, remains actively involved. Um, she has taken on a new role within Next15, um, but M. Booth has continued to grow, uh, not not just in dollar terms. So um, you know, we were looking at 30, 38% growth, I think, last year, which is hugely impressive in this market. Um, but grow in terms of its geographic reach, in terms of the kind of services it offers. We saw very strong creative work from them. They won three Sabre Awards last night in addition to the Agency of the Year Award. And they're picking up business that, you know, is sort of out of their weight class. Um, they're picking up big, high-profile assignments. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great success story. Yeah, it, it, it kind of seems like one of the things agencies get wrong more often than they get right is kind of renewing because M Booth has been a good agency for a while but to be able to have a leadership change and remain as relevant get better I think is something that a lot of agencies get wrong um, Arthi over to you your views on on M Booth's M Booth's performance last night so you know there was a time when I think it was 2013 where they lost much of their digital team right and it was a little uncertain in terms of what was going to happen but and I'll say in the in the innovation sabers as well earlier this year their work their work with WeVibe, with Godiva, um, I mean it, it, it they were standouts. I know they, they were shortlisted for best in show there as well. So they the work is spot on. I mean I think it's like thirty nine percent growth and it's uh, I think there was no larger firm that grew like mm. that, that grew more. So between business performance and um, the the quality of the work. I think they were definitely it, it wasn't, by the way, just the digital team. I mean, I think that there was a sense when Dale Bornstein first arrived from Ketchum 
um, you know, and making that transition from a giant mm. sort of, you know, global agency into a much more boutique environment can be difficult. You know, I think there was a sense that maybe that wouldn't work out as planned. Mm. And it wasn't a smooth and seamless transition. Um, but it is, I think, to, to the point you were making, an indication that, you know, sometimes you have to break a model to make it better. Sometimes you have to, you know, not be satisfied with what you've got, but recognize that you need to be self-disruptive. Um, and I think that takes a fair amount of courage. Um, but, you know, I think in this instance, it really paid off. I think it also helps that they're kind of in the sweet spot in, in some respects, in that they're not too big, they're not too small, they don't have to worry about a global network. Um, so they have a lot of things going for them. And I, I wonder what will happen um, as they keep on growing, which I suspect they will. Um, what comes next for them? Well, I think right now they are um, big enough, clearly, to attract business from the largest clients out there. Unilever um, like, seems to like them a lot. Um, uh, but they are small enough and flexible enough that they can improvise when it's necessary. Um, they can make decisions quickly. Uh, there's no bureaucracy, as far as I can tell. Um, and so, yeah, they're in that sweet spot. And honestly, that sweet spot, they're, they're closer to the lower bound of that sweet spot than they are to the higher bound of that sweet spot. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, I think that means that they've got plenty of opportunity going forward before they reach a point where you know, that the advantage no longer applies, right? Right. I mean, they, they were small agency of the year, not even midsize, right? So they've got they've got a way to, to climb up through what, at 20, mm. is it 26 million? So they're actually mm. relatively small still. Mm -hmm. And for the quality of work they're doing, it, you actually wouldn't, I mean, they're doing work that's on par with agencies that are 50, 60 million dollars. Mm. So. Or five or six million dollars in some cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, so M. Booth, let's move on to a large PR agency of the year where um, Weber Shandwick did not win an award. Uh, instead, it was Conan Wolf, which, after a couple of years, I think we'd probably say, of, of excellent performance, um, wins its first agency of the year honor, certainly in, in one of the size categories. Um, you know, it's it's become, um, I suppose, fashionable to say that WPPPR firms are, are not performing that well, but Conan Wolf seems to be the uh, the exception to that rule. You know, I, I'm, now I'm going to attract the, the ire of all WPPPR firms, but it's fine, I'll live with it. Um, so Conan Wolf. Yeah, um, they've grown 45% in the last two years. Um, you know, which obviously is more difficult for a large agency than it is for a boutique. Um, they've been on a very impressive winning streak. Um, they are regularly singled out by Martin Sorrell in um, earnings statements as, you know, one of the top performers. Mm -hmm. um, they have a very strong leadership team with Donna Imperato and Jim Joseph um, in North America. They're doing good creative work, um, they're expanding their digital capabilities, um, and, you know, I, I, I think your comments about WPP are appropriate. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I, I don't want to overstate this, um, but 
performing like that in the context of a holding company that is not doing particularly well in public relations and public affairs is more important is more impressive than performing like that in a more uh, you know an environment that seems to be supporting everybody mm-hmm. and if they weren't going to win it this year you know they were sort of never going to win it i mean this they they've been on a, a career high almost for the last two or three years and uh, i i think that that sort of cumulative performance was very worthy of recognition what is in the u.s about 17 percent growth mm-hmm. and for on my end what i've noticed is the quality of the work that they were mm-hmm. doing with like panasonic um really stood out with here with the gps um company that you see part of nokia and, and i actually when we were in san francisco and doing some of the saber judging the innovation saber judging anyway you know I, a lot of the judges responses was i had no idea that conan and wolf had work that was so you know, seated in insights and research and, mm. you know, really smart activations that had, you know, strong digital components. I think even their work with like Irish Spring, is, it's with, they did an app for them that was really smart. Mm. So just in the caliber of the work, I, I, I've been even pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Mm. And Arthur, you had a, a an interesting observation about both mm-hmm. Booth and mm-hmm. Conan Wolf. Yeah, so it's apparently winning best agency to work for is a precursor to getting an agency of the year mm. nod. So last year, um, Conan Wolf won best agency to work for overall, and M. Booth must have won just in their size category last yeah. year. But they Maybe were both, best. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, sorry, I, I've always thought that the the difference between the best agency to work for and the best agency is that the best agency to work for is predictive. Mm-hmm. In other words, you get the agency of the year for something you did last year, right? You get the best agency to work for because your people vote you to the top of the list. And I think that has more predictive value. Mm-hmm. I think the fact, you know, that that's an indication that you're going to do well in the future. So it doesn't, I mean, I, I wouldn't have noticed it, I don't think, unless you pointed it out. But I, but I do think that it makes a sort of logical sense that if you can, you know, if you get the people part right, everything else is going to go pretty well over the next 12 months. Whereas, you know, there may be a bit of a sort of Sports Illustrated cover jinx to winning the overall <laughs> agency of the year, that you're getting there precisely because you're, you're doing Doing better than than you're expected to do, um, and so a regression towards the norm the next year is maybe not a surprising thing. Although, you know, I wouldn't say that we. I mean, Weber Shandwick didn't miss out, Golan didn't miss out, Edelman didn't miss out because they'd fallen from their peak. They missed out because there was another firm that arrived on the scene that sort of shook things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's the opposite of a curse, which will bode well for, I guess, it's a revive health that won best agency to work for last night. Uh, coin. Oh, sorry, coin. Uh, revive won in its category. Right, coin. Um, you know, mm. and but revive also just got acquired, so who knows what impact that will have. Who knows? But acquired by mm. Weber Shandwick. So. Yeah, acquired by Weber Shandwick is is probably as good as it's going to get at this point. Um, <laughs> So let's move on. Shall we talk about our specialty agency of the year, which was SKD Knickerbocker, um, second consecutive public affairs agency of the year uh, and beating out the other specialty agencies of the year. Um, What are they doing right? I think, uh, first of all, they are uh, just a very smart outfit generally and have been for a long time. They do great 
you know, nuts and bolts public affairs work, and that's terrific. Um, but for me, there are there are a couple of things that really stood out. So um, the first is that they had built on their work in the airline industry to become sort of the go-to public affairs firm in DC for M&A activity and antitrust. Um, they have a very good track record in that arena. They are sort of the preferred partner of several of the big you know, New York-based financial transaction specialists. Um, they are doing work around Supreme Court cases that I don't think anybody else is doing, that I certainly don't hear about from anybody else. You know, So they're involved in the coalition that is defending Obamacare. They are involved in labor rights. They are involved in immigration reform. Um, you know, these are these are big, important, critical issues for our country, and there's, you know, I don't think there's another firm that is as embedded in those issues. And then I think, you know, the work that they did um, supporting the campaign to free Alan Gross, um, the mm. businessman imprisoned in Cuba, and ultimately influence American policy on Cuba, um, has given them a real first mover advantage. Um, as people start to look at market entry there, and so they've they've become you know not the but one of two or three go-to agencies mm. um, for companies that are looking at Cuba, and I think you know I just think that makes them unique in um, in the DC context, and I, I I just think they're doing more interesting and innovative things um, in public affairs. Yeah, we don't really talk about public affairs much on this podcast, so um, it's probably worth asking. I mean, the category as a whole is it is it uh, is it lobbying as usual, or do you feel like there are um, there's real innovation in the public affairs arena? I, I think. <laughs> I mean, one of the reasons we don't talk about it as much as we talk about some other stuff is because the firms involved don't like to talk about their best work. There is almost an inverse relationship between how important the campaign is and how likely they are to want to talk about it. But you don't need to look very hard to see that the political realm um, has been leading change in communications rather than following. Um, you know, the, the, the first time that data analytics became pervasive in our conversations was when we were talking about the first Obama election. Mm. And then a lot of those people went over to the corporate side and took their expertise in analytics with them to the, to the, to the corporate side or to the, you know, the agency side, but the business world in general. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think, um, I think that the campaign approach that is now almost universal in the public affairs realm um, came out of politics first. So, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of innovation. Mm. Um, it's a very integrated model. You're doing paid and earned and shared and owned alongside one another. You're doing content creation. There's a lot of digital work now. Um, I, I think I think there's some truly innovative stuff going on in the political realm. Mm. And that's a good way, I think, maybe to to a good segue to our digital agency of the year, obviously, which was which was Precision, um, led by people that came out of the Obama campaign and a firm that really operates at that intersection of public affairs and digital, uh, and in particular, you know, helped develop a lot of these strategies for the Obama campaigns and now is doing some great digital work um, for both politicians um, and brands. 
uh, and of course helped Justin Trudeau get elected. I mean, an agency that could would have had a good shot in public affairs, I think, if it, if it hadn't won um, for digital. But it's interesting, perhaps, that um, we're seeing some of that innovative digital work coming out of public affairs and maybe not out of, for example, the technology sector where sometimes you kind of, you know, sometimes it's a lazy assumption, but you sort of think, expect tech agencies to be good at digital. I mean, that's, we haven't really seen that though, right? I mean, that's been part of the issue. Well, it's interesting because the, the W2O group, which has consistently, I think, like three oh. consecutive years won our digital agency, they finally sort of broke out of that this year and won the midsize category. Um, because I think it was fair to look at their overall business and mm -hmm. not just their their digital chops, which are, I think, I mean, st still sort of unparalleled in, in this industry. I mean, the investments that they've made, I don't think anyone else has done. And, and the fact that they've managed to get the buy-in from the client, ultimately, I think a lot of other agencies have struggled with that. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you think about, I mean, 15, they're 15 years old mm -hmm. and about 95 million. Yeah. I mean, that's just remarkable. And I mean, I, I think there's still very much work in progress. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's hard to sit back and look at W2O and say, okay, I, I, I get it. Mm -hmm. But, but there, I mean, but the numbers, I mean, speak for themselves, right? I mean, what I think they were, they were up 15% this year, which is actually low for them. They were, they were, they were 20 plus. Yeah. They're bigger though, right? So. They're bigger, right? So it's a, it's a bigger base that they're working mm -hmm. off of. Yeah. Can, can I ask you guys a question because you are a little more immersed in the sort of startup new business sector? W2O, you know, I'm plucking this number out of the air, but I, they've got to be the firm that's gotten from zero to 100 million faster than anybody else, right? They've done it in a very distinctive way. Do you see other firms that are W2O wannabes that are, that are applying the same logic that are trying to build the same way? Are there firms out there that you would see as the next W2O? Great. I get that question all the time, but Arthi, your, your views. Well, if you look at our new agency of the year mm. category this year, there was only one that you could really say was a traditional PR agency, and that was R Squared. And interestingly enough, R Squared has no interest in moving into content or digital. Um, the founder, Rebecca Reeves, just wants to focus really on traditional media and do that well. But mm. the, all the other four, I mean, I, even said to me at one point, I don't think we're PR. Like, I don't think that's what we do. I mean, if you, I mean, I mean, Covert, of course, just won, just, which was, they were shortlisted. Um, you know, they just won the Cadillac business as PR AOR. Yeah. But if you actually look at the kind of the scope of work, the work they're doing, it's not what we would traditionally call PR. And, and I know Paul, well, I know Paul you're, is, Paul is I know like Paul's bristling now. There. He's going to like explode in a moment. But, and, and, and the one, the new agency that won day one, I mean, that those are the former Embooth guys that yeah. left in 2013, launched day one in 2014. This was actually their last qualifying year. Yeah. And I mean, they're doing, and I don't think any of these firms actually look at themselves as W2 wannabes, but what they're mm. taking that digital mindset and they're applying it differently. I mean, they're doing digital builds for, you know, um, user experience builds for clients like Amex and Starwood, um, Hudson Cutler, and I, apparently all of the, their work is stealth right now, but I actually got to see mm. some demos. I mean, mm. I don't even know what you would categorize as some of these agencies as. And I mean, I think that's really promising for our future, right? Yeah. I think the thing about W2O that stands out, and I've talked to a couple of companies that had looked or been in talks with them about a you know, potential acquisition or, or, or investment um, is that they have been so willing to invest ahead of the curve in the way that we always talk about as being important, but we still see so rarely um, in the industry. 
Uh, and that's perhaps had some impact on their margins, but it has helped them develop a digital offering that clearly is, is um, you know, up there with the best in, in the market. And I, I think for me, that's probably the lesson with, with the rise of W2O Group. And I think for other agencies that want to be like W2O, um, it, it probably comes down to, um, to having the courage to make those investments and, and maybe not, um, you know, maybe do them at the expense of profitability, uh, perhaps. And not every, every founder or entrepreneur is, is comfortable necessarily with that balance. Um, so let's, let's look at um, maybe one more agency each. Um, Arthi, over to you on technology. Method communications, possibly surprising a lot of people by winning the tech agency of the year category? Yeah, so they really just, so their CEO just moved to San Francisco last year. They built most of their business in Salt Lake City um, before that. And, you know, their name started coming up in conversations more and more. People would ask me last year, what's going on? Who's this new player, this new kid, in, you know, um, on the block method? And um, and then when I, I mean, they are at $10 million already. I mean, we have tech firms in San Francisco that have been out there for 10, 15, 20 years that are just at $10 million. Um, their, their mindset is definitely different. Their, the quality of the work that I've seen from them, mm-hmm. it's 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 truly integrated work. And, and the thing with tech, tech PR, right, is is it's easy to fall into the publicity trap mm. of, of really yeah. being, you know, too um, media relations mm-hmm. heavy. And and I feel like they've actually broken out of that. And, mm-hmm. and part of it is, I mean, they're newer, so they they were able to build a different model. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's that's what, to me at least, made them stand out in, in tech PR, which can be, you know, um, mm-hmm. a, a duller, I mean, sector sometimes because because there is such a demand for traditional mm. media relations and tech PR still. Yeah, yeah. We, well, you know, it's fine. You can call all tech PR agencies dull. It's good. I'm sure no one will mind. <laughs> but we see a lot of very traditional... I mean, it is... Um, we see a lot of very traditional campaigns in the technology categories of the Sabre Awards. Mm. And it is... I mean, honestly, it is striking to me mm. that the most innovative sector of the economy is the least innovative user of public relations, right? And I don't think it's the agencies. I think clients are very conservative. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, I think we've had this conversation on many occasions, but, I, you know, it does feel like these agencies, this is what they're being incentivized to do, right, is to deliver this kind of work. And it's a shame, I guess, because you would think they have access to, to tools and they understand technology in that way, but don't necessarily see it. Um, Okay, so moving on, let's talk about uh, Creative Agency of the Year. So uh, Zeno won that. Um, it was a tough category this year, I think. We had um, Olsen Engage, which has been perennially very good. Uh, we had Mullen Lowe, which has also done some very good work. Uh, Zeno, I think, though, um, demonstrated possibly through its um, its 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 very, it has a very sophisticated, I think, use of planning, which stood out to me, and it's something I've seen them develop over a number of years. Um, and certainly in comparison with many other agencies that I think still still struggle to get to grips with really getting planning to work for them. I think Zeno has has invested money in it. It's working for them. But yes, very very well done to Zeno. Um, they have a point of view too, which mm. is you know which is a nice thing to see. I mean, I think they have you know there's a little bit of attitude, there's a little bit of swagger, and they just have a perspective on 
you know, yeah. this business and how it should be done that's quite distinctive. And... Yeah, the other thing that stands out to me, and I know this is, we're only looking at North America, but I've been impressed with actually their global um, perspective and the fact that they've been able to grow globally without letting it um, hurt, hurt them in certain markets, because I think that's something that firms of that size really struggle with. Uh, and probably uh, testimony to um, Barbie Siegel's uh, what, uh, her leadership capabilities, I think, and, and energy. Um, so let's move on and do Consumer Agency of the Year, which was French West Vaughan. Paul, over to you. Yeah, um, you know, this is uh, French West Vaughan is a firm that's sort of always on the fringe of this discussion. Um, you know, they've been a very good sort of, you know, mid-sized player for a long time. Um, but, you know, a national PR agency based in Raleigh, North Carolina, they're, they're sort of easy to overlook. Um, you know, they don't perhaps sort of flashy their way into the conversation um, the way that some of their peers do, but they do really good work. And, and the reality is that Rick French has been ahead of some of the trends that we are talking about um, today um, by, by a lot of years. I mean, you know, he bought, he bought an ad agency and incorporated it into his PR business 20 years before Golan Harris went out and bought, uh, or Golan, excuse me, went out and bought Brooklyn Brothers. I mean, you know, the, the French West Vaughan has been a PR-driven integrated shop for a long time. They've done interesting things in digital. Some of the work that they did this year, um, their, their work for Wrangler, um, was um, quite rightfully a finalist for the best in show um, in this year's um, Sabre competition. It was great, you know, the, the, the Wrangler sponsors rodeo and, and the, the TV deal for the rodeo, sort of televised rodeo, went out the window and they created their own network, basically. Mm. Um, and not only are, are the viewing numbers pretty much equivalent to what they would have been on a, you know, on a basic cable channel or whatever. They're actually now out there, they sell ads. I mean, it's become a, this has become a business for Wrangler is the Wrangler network. Um, and again, this is, you know, just one, one element of the direction in which our industry is heading. Um, but they are, uh, they're a very progressive, um, you know, well-run agency, mm. consistent. Okay, well, if there are no further comments, um, I'd like to thank you all, uh, and we will close this podcast. We have just finished, as you know, the, the North American Sabre Awards. Um, our next event is in Berlin, where we'll be hosting our Into Innovation Summit EMEA and the EMEA Sabre Awards. Um, I'm sure there'll be another podcast, at least one or two between now and then. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers 4DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. 